That's farmer's insurance, yeah? That's that J.K. Rawlings or whatever his name, J.K. something. And he's the guy that says, uh, you know, we cover stuff because we see a lot of stuff, right? That's a different one. This is State Farm Insurance. And like a good neighbor, they're going to be there for you <laughs> when things go wrong. At least we hope. So what is a vision statement? I looked it up on the most famous of references in our modern world, Wikipedia. And Wikipedia says, a vision statement is a declaration of an organization's objectives, right? A vision statement is a company's roadmap. It indicates both what the company wants to become and it, how, it's going, how the statement is going to guide that company to a defined direction so that company can grow in the future. What I would just want to say to kind of to sum it up is when you think of a vision, vision statement, Think of it as defining who we are and what we are trying to do. Who we are and what we're trying to accomplish, right? Uh, Peter Drucker used to ask it this way. He used to say, what's your business? And then he'd say, how's business, right? So what's your business, how's business? Who we are and what we're trying to do. So uh, another thing let me say before we go into our vision statement for our church is a vision statement should not be too detailed. In other words, it shouldn't be a whole paragraph or two paragraphs. For example, a vision statement is not going to say how many weekend services that we're going to have. It doesn't say whether we'll have a youth group meeting during the week or not. It doesn't say whether we'll have organ music or whether we'll have loud drums. It doesn't say whether we'll use screens and media and microphone and amplification during our weekend services. We have the freedom to figure out how we're going to do that as long as we are working toward the fulfillment of our vision statement. So here it is, Sebastopol Christian Church. It's on the wall in the lobby. It's on the wall back there where the tech team is located. It's in other places in the church, but here it is. It's up on the screen, and I invite you to read it together with me. Okay, ready? Sebastopol Christian Church exists to build a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus who bring others into a growing relationship with our Creator. Okay, so every one of those words is important. First of all, the description, what is our church? We are Sebastopol Christian Church. We are right in the middle of the town. And even our new uh, guest worship leader today, Chris Hardwick, said, you know, Jim, what is so great about your church is it's like right in the center of the community. And I said, yeah, that being here over 50 years helps with that. It got a nice piece of property right in the middle of town. So here we are, Sebastopol Christian Church. Let's unpack each one of these phrases and try to explain them a little bit using God's Word, using Scripture to uh, explain what we're trying to do here. So first of all, Sebastopol Christian Church exists to build a family, to build a family, okay? By faith in Jesus, friends, we all belong to God's family. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, so now, Paul's talking to this church in, in Ephesus, and he says, so now you Gentiles, or all of you who were not born Jewish by birth or by blood, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family by faith in Christ. Isn't that awesome? We enter into a brand new family. Those of us who might have been orphans or didn't have much of a good family life, this is welcome news. You are now members of God's family, and together 
We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So we are existing to build a family. The family, that means when we use the word build, we're hoping that this family grows. I'm happy for every single person that's in the room this morning. But I'm not satisfied with all of the empty seats that are in this church right now. That means that we want to build a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus. We want our family to grow. We want to be able to reach more and more people with the good news message of Jesus Christ. So church, we're here to build something together. And it's God's household. And that household is something that is worth building. Because that household, it's made up of God's people. People are going to live forever. You know, this building is made of wood and brick and mortar and concrete and carpeting and all this kind of stuff. But this building, this building didn't exist 100 years ago. And my guess is this building as it is right now, it's not going to exist 100 years from now. But you know who is going to be still alive 100 years from now? You and me. Because only people created in God's image with the Spirit of God breathed into us from the living God, only we are going to live forever. And that's the household that God really wants to build. The lives of Christ followers in every generation, it began in Jerusalem and it carries down into the 21st century into West Sonoma County today. We who belong to Jesus, we are the church of Jesus Christ, we are the assembly of people whose common trait is that we all call Jesus our Savior and our Lord. And we all try to follow his teachings. Yes, we are imperfect, but we are sincerely trying to become better in our character. And God is helping us to become more like his son, Jesus. Amen? So as this praise song goes, we say, Christ alone is our cornerstone. The weak are made strong in the Savior's love. And through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of his church, and his church is God's family. So we are here. We exist to build a family. Now, what kind of family are we trying to build? It says here we are trying to build a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus. So now we come to that next phrase, hope-filled. There's a, a scripture in Romans chapter 15 that describes the way the church ought to be and, and how we should act. And, and Paul says to the Romans, he says, So I pray to God, I pray that God who gives you hope will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in Him. May you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a, what a command, what an offer. May we overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, as we are filled with God's Spirit, as we are filled with zeal for God and for His kingdom, we're going to be filled with hope because hope is a word of expectation. Hope expects the future to be better than it was for us in the past. Hope looks forward to a positive, optimistic future. And as we follow Jesus together, we ought to be the most optimistic, hope-filled people on the planet. Amen? So we're going to be a, a family of hope-filled, and here's our next phrase, we're going to be a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. We're not talking about a follower on Twitter or a follower on Instagram. You know, you can be a follower on one of those, but that doesn't even mean you have to agree with whoever you're following, right? 
I'm I'm follower of some people on Twitter, and I disagree with them about 80% of the time. Sometimes I just want to know what the other side is thinking, right? Following Jesus is not the same as following somebody on Twitter. Look when Matthew was called to follow Jesus. You know, Matthew was sitting there. He was a tax collector. He's there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus comes walking by. He looks over at Matthew, and he says, follow me. And when a rabbi, when a, when a recognized Jewish teacher says, follow me, the, the invitation really was, I want you to come and I want you to be my full-time disciple. And it says that Matthew, at the invitation of Jesus to follow him, Matthew got up from his table and he left everything and he followed Jesus. So it's not like following somebody on Twitter. When we follow Jesus, it means that Jesus is our boss, Jesus is our king. He's our leader. He's not just our savior. Jesus is our Lord. So what Jesus says that we are to do, we are going to do. What Jesus says don't do, that we're not going to do. And yes, again, we all follow Jesus imperfectly, but that means that when we mess up, when we make a mistake, when we fail in our, in our mandate to follow Jesus, the Bible has a, has a way to take care of that. And it says, if we confess our sins... If we agree with God that we fell short, that we blew it, that we morally fouled up, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we want to be hope-filled followers of Jesus. He is our king, and we follow him. And you know, being a, a Christ follower, it's not primarily about answering a bunch of complex theological questions. It's not about getting a 100% score on a Bible trivia test. I love to do that. I love to say, hey, man, I really know the Bible. This is so. I like to do that, but that's not what really being a Christ follower is about. Being a Christ follower is about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. That's what being a Christ follower is, and loving our neighbor as ourself. In fact, the the last part of the message today, we're going to talk a lot about what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. Treating people the way we would like to be treated. That's what love is. Doing what is in the best interest of another person. So being genuine, being authentic, being passionate followers of Christ. That's in our vision statement. Now look at the next phrase. So now that we are a family and we are here to build this family of hope-filled followers of Jesus, what is our task? What are we all about? It says, who bring others into a growing relationship with, with Christ, or with our Creator. Okay, when it says, who bring others into a growing relationship, we're talking about what the Bible refers to. There's a, te- there's a phrase that, it used, that Paul uses. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. I know this phrase pretty well. I had a semester class at... Pacific Christian College, which is now Hope International University, and that class, the the title of the class was Ministry of Reconciliation. So we spent a whole semester, three units, talking about this phrase and what it means to be a Christ follower and a leader in the church today, employing the Ministry of Reconciliation. But it all comes from this verse here in 2 Corinthians 5. Those of you who are in the women's ministry, I imagine that, that all things new when you do your three women's groups on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You guys are talking about that because I know you're going through 2 Corinthians. Who bring others into a growing relationship. And, it, and Paul says this, all this is a gift from God 
who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And here it is. This is where you need to say, you know what? I'm ready to receive this because this is what God has for every person who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus. And he says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And so Paul says, okay, now I've got the message of reconciliation. I'm to be a minister of reconciliation. What does God want me to do? Look what Paul says in verse 20. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Can you imagine being an ambassador? Can you imagine pulling up in a limousine in front of an embassy in a foreign country and getting out? I, I, had, that, I had that dream and fantasy when I was a young man. I was taking a lot of Spanish classes, and I thought I'd be this Latin ambassador to some country, and I'd I, all I could picture was the limousine and getting out of the limousine. I don't know why, but it was like this fantasy of mine. But I found a better kingdom to be an ambassador for, and I hope you have too. The better kingdom to be an ambassador for is the kingdom of God. So he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead with you, come back to God. Be reconciled to God. We have a great message. We have, a, we have the privilege of being an ambassador to the King of Kings. And that is our task, to bring others into a growing relationship. And now the last three words of the vision statement, to bring others into a growing relationship with our Creator. With our Creator. Now, we could have chosen other words for that word Creator. We could have said, with our God. You could have said, who bring others into growing relationship with Jesus, growing a relationship with Christ, but we wanted to use a word that would build a bridge to people in West Sonoma County. And I think that a lot of people in West Sonoma County, they would not call themselves Christian, but they might call themselves spiritual. They wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus, but they might call themselves, hey, I believe that there's this higher power out there. I believe that there's this force. I believe that there's this God, uh, but I don't define this God the way you define this God. But the one thing that we have in common is that we believe that this whole world began not just because of a cosmic accident, but because there was a creator who started this world. In fact, Francis Schaeffer is a great philosopher of the last century, and he says in modern evangelism, when we share our faith with other people, he says it's no longer talking about, you know, we no longer start with this statement, Jesus can save you from your sins. The statement we should start with people now is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we start with this common creator. That's what Paul did in Acts chapter 17. Do you remember Dr. Luke? And I don't, I don't mean Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts. I mean our own Dr. Luke Sanders, our own youth pastor. And you know, he's not a doctor yet, but he sure sounds like one when he talks, doesn't he? He is, he is highly educated. I have to get out my dictionary when I listen to him. Luke is great, and Luke preached from this very passage. And he talked about God being the creator. And he talked about Paul being in the city of Athens, seeing all of these different temples and idols and shrines to these deities that the Greeks had, had uh, come up with. 
And, and he came across one of these shrines, and it says to an unknown God. And he says, wow, you're trying to cover all your bases. In case, you didn't, in case there's a God out there that you didn't even know about, you build a shrine to that God just in case so that God wouldn't get angry with you for not building a shrine to him or her, right? So Paul says, fine, I'll, I'll use that to an unknown God, and that'll be my launch point. I'll take off from that. And so he says, I'm going to talk to you about this unknown God that you don't know about. And so Paul says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. There's where we get with our creator. God made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples. Human hands cannot serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. And from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And you can read the rest of that passage on your own. So we have Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalm 96, great song out of the Old Testament, it says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be revered above all the gods. Why? Why is our God to be revealed above all these small g little gods? Because the gods of other nations are merely idols. But the Lord made the heavens. The Lord made the heavens. And finally, in Isaiah 44, it says, The Lord, the Lord your Redeemer and Creator says, I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. By myself I made the earth and everything in it. And so we are trying to reconcile people. We are trying to help bring other people into a saving relationship with our Creator. And that happens through Jesus, that happens through the proclamation of the good news, and then once they get reconciled to Jesus, hopefully they become members of this family. They start belonging to this family of hope-filled followers of Jesus. Amen? So to the degree that we're doing our job, that's what's going to happen. We're going to be building a growing family of hope-filled followers of Jesus. Okay? Now... I want to transition from that, and I want to talk to you now about our attitude. What is our attitude toward new people that come into our church? In other words, uh, another way of, of phrasing that is, what kind of sign do we have on our church door? Every church, whether we know it or not, every church has a sign on their door. Now, we, we may think we know what the sign says on our door. We may come in and say, hey, come on in. Everybody's welcome. We love you. You're accepted and loved here. But the real question is not just what we think the sign on our church door says. The real question is when the community looks at our church, when somebody from the outside who's maybe never been here before, when they come into our church, what kind of sign do they see on our church door? Hopefully they don't see a negative sign like this, like a sign like, hey, no trespassing, sort of like private property, you know, this is only for people who belong here and uh, you don't look like you belong here, right? Um, do you know, and, and let me just take a sidebar on this one too, do you know that whether or not you can see the church sign, every church has some kind of sign on its door, and some of, the sign, some of the signs that we have, some of the signs on some church doors are not very pretty. Some of the signs are actually pretty ugly. Some of the signs may say something like, who the heck are you, and what are you doing here? Or another sign means, could say something like, you need to go home and you need to change your clothes. One guy came into a church 
and he, he was a teenager, and he came in and he had his baseball cap on, and the, the, uh, the elder of the church came up to him. He was sitting there in the church where he had grown up as a little boy, gone away from God, finally came back to God as a young man, as a young adult, was sitting in the church waiting for it to start, and an elder shuffled up to him, and he thought he'd get like a handshake of greeting or, hey, welcome, son, glad you're here. And he says, the guy said, take off that baseball cap. We're in a house of worship, right? Not very loving or welcoming. In fact, he walked out of the church, and he didn't come back to the church for 10 years after that experience. It's very interesting how people perceive uh, the, the sign that we have on our church based upon what kind of reception they get. So um, another negative sign may be, you know what, your skin's the wrong color. Or the sign may be, you know what, your doubts, your skepticism, your questions, your cynicism, they're not welcome here. You need to take that and, br- and go take it somewhere else. Okay? So there, there could be like a no trespassing sign on, on the church. You ever come up like to a store and you're trying to get to the store and it, maybe it closes at 9 o'clock and it's like 8.59 and 48 seconds and you're getting out of your car and you're running into the store, into the parking lot and you get right up to the store and it goes... And then, it, and then the sign that was open, they turn it over and they say, sorry, we're closed. Okay, That's not the kind of sign we want to have on our church. How about the next one? Here's a more positive one. The next sign. How about come on in? Come on in. We are open. When I come to a store or a shop, I love to see that sign. Come on in. We're open. It's a welcoming message. Another negative on the negative side. Another negative sign we hope not to see is this one. Private property. Private property, keep out. I wouldn't want to see a sign like that. And you know what the sign? Honestly, folks, the kind of sign that we should be seeing in our church Thanks to my wife, she had this in our garage because I was looking for a sign like this. The only real sign that matters on our church in Sebastopol Christian Church is the sign that you see on this mat right here. Welcome. Welcome. The only sign that really matters is when we say you are welcome here. And you know what? When we say you are welcome here, what we really mean by that, what we mean is it doesn't matter if you have doubts doesn't matter if you're old or young or single or married or divorced or separated. You know what? You are welcome here. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive or whether you even have a car. You're welcome here. It doesn't matter to us what your past is like or what mistakes you've made or what failures you've had in your life. You are welcome here. It doesn't matter if you're strong or weak or physically challenged. You're welcome here. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're broken or if you're messed up or if you're hurt or bitter or skeptical or cynical. We don't know what led you to think that way, but it doesn't matter to us because you are welcome here. This is the only sign on our church door that really matters. Amen? Amen. We need to have a welcome sign on our church door. It's the only sign that matters. We need to show that with our face, with our greeting, with our conversation, that we are willing to include new people into our church family. The only sign that matters is welcome. And you know what? We can't even grade ourselves. We have to let, we have to have the humility to let new people tell us if they feel welcomed by us or not. 
Now, you might ask the question, well, where do you get this idea of welcome? Where do you get this idea that our church is for everyone, that anybody here, anybody who comes in the door is welcome? Where does you even get that idea that our church or our God is for everyone? And the answer that I have for that is, you remember that series we had that we did on fire about the early church in the book of Acts? You remember when we got to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit? And there was this miracle, and, and the 120 believers, they were all miraculously speaking in other languages. And everybody was looking on them saying, this is, this is weird. I mean, it's cool, but it's weird. We're hearing the praises of God, but we're hearing the praises of God in our own native languages. How is this even happening? And Peter says, you know what this is? This is the fulfillment of a prophecy that was said hundreds of years ago by the prophet Joel when he said that God was going to pour out his spirit in the last days. And you know what he says at the end of that prophecy? He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why our church is for everyone. Second Peter 3.9 says, God is not willing that any should perish. He's waiting for everyone to come to repentance. So that's why we welcome anyone, because everyone is invited to come to repentance. In Romans 1.16, when Paul is writing this great letter of theology to the Roman church, he says in the beginning, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever asked yourself, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, do you sometimes, you know, put your light under a bushel? Hopefully, no, Right? Don't hide it under a bushel, but sometimes we take our Christian faith and we're, we might be a little ashamed. We might be like, this isn't the setting for that. I'm just going to go neutral on the whole Jesus thing. And, and we don't proclaim our faith publicly. But Paul says this in Romans 1.16. He says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God that saves everyone who believes. So this church is for everyone. Our church is not a museum for the spiritually elite. Our church should be a hospital for those who are broken. Our church should be full of people who recognize our desperate need for God. How about us? How about you and me? Do we tend to look people, do we tend to look at people and really say to them, you know, it's fine if you come here, but you need to take that brokenness and you need to just tuck it away. You need to hide it because it's not welcome here. In God's church, really, in God's church, there really should be no velvet ropes that exclude anybody. Our church, shine, our church sign should always say, welcome. Amen? So let's say, let's say I'm a new person. Let's say I'm walking into church. Let's say I come right off of uh, uh, Bodega uh, Highway there, and I walk in the front doors, and I'm here for the first time. What am I hoping as a new person? What am I hoping that happens? Well, if I'm a new person, what I'd really like to happen is I'd like someone to greet me, someone to make me feel welcome, someone that I'd actually smile and say, hello, good morning, we're glad that you're here today. Somebody who wasn't baptized in lemon juice, right? Somebody who has sweet disposition and has a nice smile on their face. So I'd like somebody to make me feel welcome. I'd like somebody to say verbally, you know what? We're really glad. We're glad that you're here today. We're glad you came. Welcome. I'd like it if somebody asked me a little bit about myself, showed some genuine interest in who I am. 
They care about me as a person. I'd like it if someone invited me after the service. I'd like if someone invited me to maybe a follow-up meeting or a meal or the next an, an, another activity during the week or some way that I could get involved further so that this service wasn't just the beginning and the end of my whole church experience here. I'd like it if somebody made me feel like it really mattered to them that I even showed up. Does it really matter to us if new people show up? I think it should. I think we ought, to, we ought to put a big welcome sign on our church door and say, this church is for everyone so anyone can come here. Amen? Amen. And the reason is because how much, <clears throat> go to the bottom line question, how much is a human being worth? How much is somebody worth? You know, when they, they talk about the value of something, whether it's a house or a car or a piece of jewelry or something, they say, well, oh, this, this is worth $5,000. Well, you honestly, whatever that object is, if it's a car or a piece of jewelry, it's only worth $5,000 if somebody's willing to pay $5,000 for that item. Otherwise, you know, I could say, this is my third wedding ring. I've only been married once, but I've lost two other rings. Had this one over 25 years. This is my third wedding ring, and, it, and they've de- decreased in monetary value as, as the rings go on. So I would guess this one's not worth more than $50. But even if I say, hey, this, this ring here is worth 50 bucks, it's only worth 50 bucks if somebody's willing to offer me 50 bucks for it, and it's worth far more to me than $50. But you see my point. How much is a human being worth? It's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. You and I have never looked in the eyes of anyone on this planet, we've never looked in the eyes of anyone on this planet that isn't worth infinite value to God. And the reason I can tell you that that's true is because of the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, there's where another whoever comes in, there's where everyone, so that everyone who believes in Jesus would not perish, but have eternal life. That's how much we matter to God. That's how much value we have to God because we were worth the price of the life of His own dear Son. You know, somebody comes walking in and we just sang that song and it says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. You know, when we talked about you being a good, good father, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. You know what the, the real first impression that people that walk into our church, what, what the real first impression of who or what they think God is like is going to be based upon how we treat them. They're going to see the invisible God through the visible family of God, you and me. So that's why we need to be building a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus who bring others into a growing relationship with our Savior. Friends, let's do our best in our community. Let's do our best in this local sphere of influence that God has given us, this great piece of property in the great location where people are going by back and forth all the time, and, and we are here for them. Let's do our best, and, get, and pardon my language right here, let's do our best in this local sphere of influence in our church. Let's make it hard for people to go to hell. And catch this, if we're going to make it hard for people to go to hell, then we, may, then we need to make it easy for them to go to our church. 
Let me say that one more time. If we are going to make it hard for people to go to hell in our community, we need to make it easy for them to come to our church. Amen? Would you say amen to that? I don't know. You guys are a little, oh, I don't know. What, I don't know. What did he just say? I don't know. Ah, I can't get over that word he just said. By the way, that word is in the Bible. If you'd rather I say H-E double toothpicks or H-E double hockey sticks, I'll say that. But anyway, we need to make it easy for them to come to our church. So this is our name. This is our church name, Sebastopol Christian Church. We bear the name of Christ. We represent Christ to this community. We need to represent the love of Jesus to people. We do not need to devalue or ignore any person, even in our hearts. We don't ignore or devalue any person in our hearts because we recognize that everybody is of an infinite value created in the image of God. And so my prayer for me, and I hope your prayer for you, would be something like this. Lord, I pray that you will help me to tear down my wall-building heart. Help me tear down my wall-building heart, and instead, Lord, help me to be a bridge builder. Help me to be a bridge builder. Amen? Wouldn't you rather be a bridge builder than a wall builder that separates people? So here again, one more time, our vision statement, Sebastopol Christian Church. You know, I had this dream. I had a dream, just like Dr. King. And my, just kidding, my, my dream was that by the end of the, of the service, everybody in the room would be able to close your eyes and say from memory our entire vision statement, 24 words. And I gave up that dream about 4.30 yesterday afternoon. Um, but anyway, this is our vision statement. It's written on your bulletin, your program. That's why I wanted you to have it. I want you to take it home. I want you to look it over, and I want you to say, why did they choose these words? Why does this phrase matter? Why does this matter to our church? Sebastopol Christian Church exists to build a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus who bring others into a growing relationship with our Creator. So what are our action points? Now that you guys who love to write things down, if you're not taking notes, love to fill in the blanks the, at the bottom of the outline today, three action points. Number one is for us, act like a loving family. Act like a loving family. We have the love of God in our hearts. We're to keep the, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are to love one another just as Christ has loved us. So we're to act like a loving family to those who are inside the family and those who are not yet members of our family, right? The second one is to be hope-filled, to be hope-filled and welcoming. And I'll say it one more time. There really should only be one sign on this church door. Our church is for everyone because our church is willing to accept anyone. You come as you are. We don't want you to leave as you were. But we do want you to come in as you are, and we will love you just as God loves you. Be hope-filled and welcoming. And then number three, to remind us of our mandate when Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. It says, bring others into a relationship with Jesus. So here's the challenge question for us today. Will you do that? Will you embrace the idea that our church is for everyone? Will you embrace that idea that our church is for everyone? And if you say yes to that, it's because everyone matters to God. And because everyone matters to God, we're going to make room for anyone. Amen? Amen. 
We're going to transition now, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Communion together is a time of remembrance. Communion is a time of 